Acts 9, starting in the first verse. And it says, And Paul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, their name of the, the followers back then were called the followers of the way. Uh, they weren't called Christians then. And that's why he says that they followed you know, any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there was shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what you must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But, he, but they led him by the hand, and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street, which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he prays, and hath seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard many of this man, by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must uh, suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hand on him, beheld him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou came, has sent me that you might receive your, your sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as if it were a scale. And he received sight forwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, he was then strengthened. Then when was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on his name in Jerusalem, and came hither for, for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, providing that this, approving that this is very Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, Lord. I thank you for everything that you've done for us. Thank you for bringing out the people, no matter whether it's cold or what, that we can get a message from your word and that we'll be able to 
go out about our lives and be strengthened through the knowledge that we gain by being in your word. We ask that all these things that you will do and that I will do and say will be just they'll be coated with with the sweetness of your spirit that that we received and the kind that they are meant and that everybody will go away having gained something and will go into this new year re-energized and ready to make a good work for you. We ask all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. The title of the sermon is A God of Second Chances. God is a God of second chances. Never, I don't think there's, I mean, maybe with the exception of Mary, and we don't really get a lot of her story, there's very few stories in the Bible where the person isn't, a, the, the fact that they're a believer now isn't because they were given a second chance, or even after believing did something wrong and had to get a second chance for redemption. That's basically the, the summary of most of the characters in the Bible. <laughs> they either believed or didn't, did something wrong, and they got a second chance. That's, that's everybody. I mean, David, Solomon, I don't know who it is. Second chance. Second chances. Abraham didn't, didn't do the right thing the first time, had Ishmael. Well, that wasn't supposed to be. Got a second chance at it. God is a God of second chances. And we see in this that Paul breathed out murderous intent, but the thing is, he actually did it very ignorantly, because he the whole time God was making and building and giving him the knowledge and the things that he would need to do to be successful in life, but Paul took it with the wrong intent. He had the intent that this was that he was to be a Pharisee. He was supposed to, you know, further Yahweh worship, God worship, by the sword. However, Jesus came and said, no, I'm not, I'm not coming that you'll fight. I'm, I'm coming that, basically, you're, he's going to bring violence, but my people don't fight. He says, if my, peop, my, if, my people were, if my kingdom were of this world, my people would fight, but it's not. So the people, are, we're, as, citizens, as Christians, we're essentially supposed to be easy targets. We really are. We're not supposed to be on the attack. We're not supposed to be being violent. We're not supposed to be constantly trying to gain ground, we're supposed to, we're, we're supposed to sit back and be a good example and be an easy target for people. And when they, when they have, a th have an issue, a question, whatever, we then react to that. But we're not supposed to necessarily be on the attack. And Paul, if we look at what you know, he did, he was on the road to Damascus. Why? Well, he was going to, he was murdering people. He was killing people. He was that was what he did. That was his job. And we see, you know, even that, when Ananias was given the word to go to him, he questioned God. He said, um, God, you do realize what this guy's doing, right? We, you really want him? And God said, I've prepared him as a vessel. The things that Paul had gone through in his life to this point were to prepare him for what was next. Now, the thing is, is that can go many different ways. We can be prepared for something and be in the wrong mindset. So the whole time it's happening, it doesn't matter what it is. Let's just say somebody who's doing, I have a, I have a friend who went to criminal justice. He thought he was going to be a cop, thought he was going to be a cop, thought he was going to be a cop. But he was doing criminal justice so that he could work his way up and 
every time he wouldn't get, he'd, he'd pass his, his exams, he'd, get, he'd be put in line for a, poli- a position, he'd get passed over for the position. And he's constantly and constantly, and he got angry about this because I'm criminal justice, this is what I'm supposed to do, this is my life, I'm supposed to do this. Years and years down the line, he just decided, okay, he was going to give up on, it had to be a cop. But he started working in criminal justice fields in other ways. He's working with people, he's helping people, he's lending what he knows about the law to people who are in bad situations. In the meantime, he starts working for like a private security firm. Now, at this point, some 15 years later, He's in a position where he has all the tools and all everything he's equipped for to do perfectly for the position that just opened up for him. So 15 years of frustration and upset and being angry that he's not doing what he wants to do and what he's supposed to do. And it's just become so obvious to him that he was never supposed to do that any, at any point anyways. His, his passion even switched. He thought his passion was one thing, and after getting a taste of something different, he realized this is where my passion really lies. But it was that zeal that he had that kept him going. He wouldn't have kept learning and kept studying and kept working harder and harder. Every time he didn't get what he wanted, he worked harder instead of giving up. And that passion made him a worthy vessel that he could be used for something down the line, even though he didn't understand it. Now, not everybody's like that. There are some people out here who, they're really good at following what God tells them. They, they're going to go to school and figure it out. And they do this, and oh, they're going to, and they just step, 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 step. Next thing you know, they're, you know, in their mid-20s, and they just, they got, they got it worked out. They're doing this, and they're doing that, and they're, that's great. And, you know, God bless those people, but not everybody's like that. And so we all take different paths. To get to where we're going to be. There's, there's all kinds of different roads. And it has a lot to do with our personalities. God is willing. God knows your personality. He's willing to work with you. To get the result. And it really is that. Unfortunately a lot of us. We need second chances. Because you know we're selfish. And we're not thinking outside of ourselves. Even when you think you're doing something right. Sometimes you're not. You think oh if I could just get into this position. Then I'd have the power to do the right thing. Well, if you can't do the right thing from where you're at, you're probably not going to be able to do the right thing from the position of power, too. It's just the way it is. It, it, you know, it tells a lot about you. Well, because Paul was so zealous, was so, he was wrong, but he was so just intense about his love and his desire to do the will of God, God knew that I'm going to work with him and I'm going to set him up And then he's going to become one of my most prolific apostles. He's going to convert thousands and thousands and set up churches across the world because of his personality. His personality also lent him to be a bit of a hothead, and he would get angry at times, but it also was the personality that God needed to do a mighty work through him if he was just willing to accept the second chance that God was offering. Sometimes we're not willing to accept the second chance or offering. God's saying, well, if you just do this thing, you'll be fine. And you still won't do it. But I'd really much rather do something else. That's, there's, I'm trying to think what, 
I wrote it down and I and then I took the wrong paper that I wrote it on. But there's a preacher who's all who uh, had used the term about that that when you when you have no idea what to do next, just do the next thing. And it's like it sounds contradictory, but really there's always the next thing to be done. <laughs> you you feel like you're nowhere. Oh, where am I going to go? Take a step. Doesn't matter which direction. Take a step and see what happens. You can go left, right, forward. Take a step. Just make a decision. Sometimes the decision isn't wrong. Sometimes all three of them will take you somewhere and all three of them are fine to go. It's not always between evil and good. Sometimes it's just take a step. Any direction. Just choose something. Make, your, make up your mind and do it. And God will bless that if you're doing it because it's the next thing to do. It's the right thing to do. So in Paul's case... And when given the second chance, you see immediately he did it. Paul, Jesus says, you know, immediately tells Paul, you know, that, you know, he, that, you know, you're the one who persecuted me. And it's, and he's telling Paul, the reason why you're so angry, this there in the third, fifth verse, it says, uh, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. That's a term that's, you know, like a, it's, you know, has to do with a, with a uh, horse that's bucking and, and doing his thing. He's saying, the reason, Paul, the reason why your life seems so frustrated, the reason why you're angry, the reason why you have problems is because you're not doing, you're kicking against. You have zeal, but it's directed in the wrong way. So, and, and, and we're going to go through and uh, real quickly jump to Romans 7. Because I want to make a point about Paul that a lot of people don't... I've had a lot of preachers not really seem like they understand this about Paul's personality. Paul, you can really get a sense of Paul's personality by reading his writings. He's, he puts himself in his writings a lot. And he really talks about it. So Romans 7. <clears throat> and this is where he's talking about, you know, that there is the old law, but you don't follow the law. And saying that, you know, even though you're not supposed to get divorced and stuff, if one of the spouse dies, then you're, you're free. Well, the law is dead now because Christ fulfilled it. And therefore, we're free to live in grace. And in the, let's start, and we'll start in 7, verse 7. And it says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, worked in me all manner of conspicuous. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came... Sin revived, and I died. Paul is saying, there's a lot in here, because Paul is saying, basically, this is a reference to the age of accountability, or a level, some people use the term level of accountability. As a child, you don't understand the difference between good and bad. You might be doing bad things, but it's not in a sinful, it's not purposely sinful. You're just do, a child is just in survival mode. As a little baby, all it knows is it cries, it gets milk. So as it gets older, when it wants something, make a fuss, 
and it learned the child learns to manipulate because that's how it gets that survival it's surviving by manipulation well after that works for the first year or so and then you have to start teaching the baby basically to not be a manipulator anymore because you're going to be selfish everyone's going to be you, you spend the whole rest of the time trying to teach the child not to be selfish and most people self-included spend the rest of our lives trying not to be so selfish. And so when he was young, he's saying, when I was young, I was just free. I was just doing what I was doing. I was just living life. I was doing it. And then the law came in and I died. Meaning he became aware of the sin because of the law. That's what the law is. It's a mirror or a light, you say it's a light, it shines onto the darkness, and you all of a sudden notice, oh, wait a minute, there is darkness, this is sin. In his case, he's saying, I thought I was fine, and then when I realized what the law was saying, I realized that I actually am bad, that I actually, and I died at that point. He became responsible for his own sin, is what he's saying. He's saying at the time that which he, the law, so that's the purpose of the law, even to this day. The law will teach you, and it's written on our hearts, every man, woman, and child. We actually were having a, a off-topic a little bit, but we're having a thing about uh, this guy, this guy was doing about um, how morals and everything are relative and subjective. And the funny thing is, is even if you go to like an area like the Amazon or some remote place in India where they do like cannibalism, the people don't, they know it's wrong to eat people, kill and eat people. Therefore, they make excuses. They'll say, oh, the people in the other village, they're not human. They're like subhuman, so we can kill them like cattle. Or they'll say, like some of the uh, Amazon tribes that still do that, the person has to have died already of a natural, basically, some other cause. You couldn't kill the person. But once the person's dead, their soul's gone, so it's just a body, just a husk of a person. You can eat it. So they have to come up with a way around this because in their heart of hearts they know it's wrong. They're having to to rationalize it out because we do know we all know, but some people fight against it. Some people are warring against God. A lot of people who claim they're atheists, you'll never. I told I have a friend that I still consider him a friend, but he is a militant atheist. And I told him one time, I said, I've never heard anybody rail and scream so much about someone who doesn't exist. <laughs> the guy will scream and yell about God. I'm like, but if he doesn't exist, then what do you care? How can you rail against someone who doesn't exist? Because he knows he exists. In his heart of hearts, and he's upset. Something happened to him, and he's taking, he, there's anger in his heart. But like in Paul's case, God said, Jesus said to him, it's hard to kick against the pricks, meaning when you know the truth, the reason why you get angry is because you're fighting it. And God is not going to let you in. He's not going to let you in. Either he wins and you get saved, or you lose and you die and go to hell. You're not going to win. <laughs> There's no getting out of it. So the anger comes from the frustration because you, you're fighting God's will. And like Paul's saying here, the sin isn't, the law isn't ineffective because the law does what its job is, and that is to point out the sin so you know you need a savior. You need salvation. So he's saying, and he talks about how that when it, and we'll go back to uh, 8, says, um, so Romans 7, 8, says, but sin, taking occasion by the commandment, 
worked in me all manner of conspicuous, for without law sin was dead. So he's saying he was a, the conspicuousness is actually a term for having lust, sexual lust. That's another word for sexual lust. So he's saying even as a child he dealt with issues of lust. He dealt with issues of this. And it was the sin in his body already. It was he himself. The law just made him aware of it. But then after he became aware of the law, he talks about how that he's saying, was it of no, you know, you know, what happens? He's saying without, you know, I was alive without the law. Meaning he thought he was alive and doing well. All of a sudden he became aware, so he hid his sin. He didn't deal with it properly. He just hid it. He just hid it away. Pretend like it's not there. Pretend like I'm not really lusting. Pretend like I'm not really having these urges and things. Pretend like I'm really not doing that when I'm alone in a, with a computer. Just pretend, 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 and not deal with it. And that eats at you. And it makes you angry. It makes you frustrated. You, you have unrealistic expectations about life, about love, about all kinds of things. About what God is, who God is what the nature of God and man is. You, all this is worked by hiding and lying to yourself about your sin. It's all work. And that's why Paul was angry. That's why Paul was doing it. You know, he makes you know, very clear that he was fighting. Even when he was becoming a Pharisee, he was learning Paul to be in his position as the Pharisee at the level he was, had to be able to quote the entire Old Testament from memory. They would ask you, they would say, they would just like come up to you at like 11 and 12 years old when you're studying for this and go, Isaiah, go. And you'd have to be able to quote an entire chapter just on, on just there, go. And if you couldn't, you'd have to go back and study. And the, they, the way they did it was they'd make you sit there and write the entire thing out and say it out loud while you're writing it until you could actually write it with your eyes closed, meaning without reading it, you could just write it out with, without looking at it. And that's how they learned. So he knew the Old Testament. He knew the laws. He knew Moses. He knew the prophets. But he was fighting against it. And he thought, if I could just be so zealous and I could kill these people who are against my God, then God will be happy with me. If I could just persecute enough people, God will be happy with me. And he got angrier and angrier and angrier. And he breathed hatred and murderous intent because of what was going on inside of him. But when God blinded him on the road to Damascus and put the scales over his eyes, he then had for the first time to rely on something other than himself. He had to rely on people for moving him from place to place. He had to rely on another person, Ananias, to even give him his sight back. He had then, for the first time, he had to realize that when it comes to salvation, it's not you can, nothing you can do to work. You have to simply rely on faith that God is, is who he says he is, and he's going to do what he says he's going to do. And so you have to get over yourself, and you have to give up yourself, because otherwise you will, it will breed anger and resentment and these things because you're not dealing with it. You're going to deal with it your whole life, but there's a healthy way to deal, and there's a, there's a, there's a very unhealthy way to deal with these things. Uh, we're going to talk, go one more, just a little bit more with this in the sense that 
Because it says in 9, it says, For I was alive without the law but once. But when the commandment came in, sin revived and I died. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, I found unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Now, 12 says, Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. And then he goes on to talk about, he makes a little, he's doing little rhetorical devices. He says, Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, worked death in me by that which is good, that sin, by the commandment, became exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that do I. So he's talking about the struggle, the internal struggle. You can sit there and say, I mean, because it's the number one thing that people get in trouble for. This person is doing whatever. You know, that's sinning because they do such and such. And then you go back and you look. The person's doing it themselves. That's why they're so hard on the other person. is because they're struggling with the same thing. And they see it in somebody else and they hate it. But they're dealing with it. It's the reason why they hate it is because they wish they could deal with it and get it over with. But they're not. They're hiding it. And it's breeding that hatred and that anger inside. We're going to jump to 1 Timothy 1 and see. The reason why I say this is, this is him dealing with the age of accountability. Because some might argue that, well, you know, he's just saying he was doing the wrong thing. or he's just. I think the age of accountability is really important. Because... I think it actually gives us the, the sign and the symbol as a very clear depiction of what salvation, how it happens, how it works. So 1 Timothy 1, we're going to start in 12. It says, And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer and persecutor and injurer, but obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abound and abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to everlasting life. He's saying he's not unique. This was a pattern that God uses in us. See, he says he persecuted, he did the wrong things, he did it ignorantly in unbelief. So, Paul is making clear that, like I've said it from this pulpit before, you can't judge the world by the Bible standard, because the world doesn't know the Bible standard. They've, never, they've probably never heard it. And what they have heard is probably wrong, because there's all kinds of incorrect information out there. So you can't just judge them by a standard 
than in which they have no idea what it is. Therefore, it's ignorance. They, their unbelief is through ignorance. Now, once Christ showed himself in a form he could not deny, Paul then had to make a decision. Am I going to go or am I going to keep doing my own thing? That is the concept of the a level of accountability or the age of accountability. It's not that at some magical age, some child suddenly goes from being ignorant and childish and all of a sudden they just know. There's going to be an event. There's going to be a thing. And if most people really look back, there was usually a moment. And it could be some simple little thing. You saw something or you watched something on TV or something. That all of a sudden, in your heart of hearts, no matter, I mean, some people young, seven, eight years old, five, whatever, some people not till they're in their teens. But it all of a sudden, it grips your heart, and you know something's different all of a sudden. You may have seen whatever, again, if it's a program on TV, you may have seen that programs like that a million times. You know, about a hundred times in your little life. All of a sudden, you see it this time, it's a little different. You're going, you know what, I'm not supposed to be doing this. I'm not supposed to be watching this. Or, or you're being your know, friend. Let's go here and do this. I don't know. I don't, it just feels wrong this time. I don't think I'm supposed to do that. You're making your first decision to step out of ignorance and step into sin. Knowingly sin. And so, it happens at all different ages for all different people. It's not, it's, it has to do with the person. People are different. They have different personalities. They have different life experiences. Some people get a late start at life because of situations as a child. Some people get an early start at life because of situations as a child. But you will suddenly come to a point where it happens. And, I'm, and I use this because I know a guy that swears up and down this has happened. It was at his freshman formal. He had rented out a hotel and he had this girl... He had the key, and he had gotten some guy to buy some beer at the Circle K for him and this girl, and it was going to be that night. And he gets up to the, the, the place there where they're holding the dance, at the gym where they're holding the dance, and he said that it was like there was a wall of invisible, like jello or something, between him and the door. Like it was pushing him back. Like he couldn't, like in his mind, he was just like, he was being so, just such an internal struggle that he'd never had before. He'd done things here and there before that he shouldn't do. He never had this, where his heart was being pressed on because of this situation. And it's nothing he hadn't done or attempted to do in the past. And in the past, just blew it off. But this time, God used this occasion to show him. And now you have to make the decision. Are you going to do the right thing or the wrong thing? If you do the wrong thing, it can result in searing your conscience. Meaning, you do it once, and then you do it again, and again, and you dull your senses to the pulling and the, and the work of the Holy Spirit by your willful disobedience of Him pulling and drawing on you. But if you follow the Holy Spirit, you make it easier for the next time to just do the right thing. And the first, you might be doing something wrong for 20 years, and all of a sudden it comes to, you know, I need to do the right thing. That first time doing the right thing is hard sometimes. Really hard. But if you do it, it does make it easier the next time. 
and it does make it. It's but you will usually have an occurrence where it's like that one moment you chose to step out of the grace that God was giving you as a child, as an ignorant child, and step into a life of sinfulness, of carnality. And that's what Paul is saying. He came up to that time, and he chose to step into sin. But our God is a God of second chances. And he gave Paul a chance to make the right decision later on, and Paul accepted it. And so that's something we need to, it's, just, it's something to work on ourselves. And we're going to run back really quick to Acts 5. We can see Acts 5 is a little before we, where we were before. And we're going to see a really quick telling of God giving a second chance. That this, in this occurrence, the second chance was instant. And it was not accepted. This is going to be what's referred to as, you know, a lot of people call it as Ananias and Sapphira. Because those are the two people talked. At this time, because of the persecution that was going on in Jerusalem, and the followers of the way, as they were called then, there was, they lived kind of like a communion, communal life. They basically would keep everything in common. They would hold ownership of common things. If somebody had a problem, they would... They would just sell whatever they had to sell so they get the money and give it. Because everybody's being persecuted, so everybody's just doing what you can do to get through. When you're in a state of survival mode, you live a little different than when you're in a state of luxury. So they had a very different standard of living. But Ananias and Sapphira saw this, and they wanted the praise of being able to claim, we gave all we had. But they didn't actually want to have to go through with it. And actually give all. See, this is not, people use this as for like a tithing story. It's not about tithing. It's not about anything like that. This is an instance where somebody said, I want you to lavish me with praise for doing something good when they were never doing what they were claiming. They're being, they're lying, they're being sinful in their deception. So, in Acts 5, start at 1, it says, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, had a possession, it was a piece of land, and kept back a part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter, Ananias, but Peter, Ananias was, but Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back a part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not in thine own hand? And after it was sold, was it it not in thine own hand. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came on all of them that heard these things. And the young men arose, wound, up, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. Now, we see what happens is this is God saying, listen, he could have just kept the property. He could have just sold it and kept all the money to himself. God would much rather you, him sell the property and just keep all the money himself than to go say, okay, I'm selling the property and I'm giving you all of it. Now come give me praise and maybe think about how great I am. And he really wasn't. It just has to do with the purity of heart, the intention of the heart. If you're going to do something, God will accept the gift 
done for the wrong reasons, if it's to help somebody that he cares about. I mean, there are billionaires around here giving money for all the wrong reasons, and it's feeding people. God will accept that. But he's not going to give them any credit for doing the right thing. That's not going to go as a credit to them because they did it in the wrong intention. Your heart matters. The way you do things matters. The intention of your heart matters. So then it, we continue on and it says in seven, it says, and it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether ye sold that land for so much. And she said, yeah, for so much. See, Peter gave her a second chance. He's saying, just say the truth. Just say it. Just, just admit that you were intending to defraud. Which today you would do, you'd go to jail for that today anyways. If you said that, oh, I, I, I'm selling this land so that all the money can go to the church. And then you went and claimed taxes on that money. If the government found out, they'd put you in jail for 15 years for, for tax fraud. So in today's age, it's not just a moral issue. It's also even a criminal issue. But so then 9 says, Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, shall, they shall carry, and they shall carry you out. Then she fell down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, forth buried her with her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. See, now this is one of the situations where, who knows what was going on? These people could have been meaning to die anyway. If you don't know how old they, it doesn't tell you how old they were. Doesn't, they could have been just had cancer, and they were going to die anyways. And not knowing it, or doing whatever. And this was their last chance to do something good before they die. And they didn't accept that chance. Even there, he gave Saphir a chance to just be honest. Just be honest. Even if, even if she had said yes, yeah, we, we kept this part back. I have a good feeling Peter would have been like, all right, thank you for the part you gave. <laughs> he wouldn't even have cared. Just being honest about it was all it was. He's, and he's saying, you're not lying to me, you're lying to God. You think you can get it past God. God knows. So we, we see this, that you know maybe they missed their last chance to do a kind act because they were selfish, because they were kicking against the pricks. They didn't want to do the thing that God was asking them to do. And the question goes, are you going to be like Ananias and Sapphira? Or are you going to be like Paul? Take that second chance to do the right thing. You may have already made the wrong chance to do something. And this might not even be about salvation. It might be you're saved, but you're doing something wrong anyways. You're just, there's some sin that you just can't kick. And the thing is, is oftentimes talking about it with other people is the best way to get over it. If you keep it in, it'll eat at you. And you keep that between just you, which is me, between me and the wall. That'll eat and just, it'll work. But getting it out sometimes, just find a person, you know, that's why they have anonymous groups. That's why they have websites now where you can go in and say things and it doesn't track any information. And you're talking to somebody, you have no idea who it is. And they have no idea who you are. And you can tell them anything. Because just to get it out, just to get, that's what prayer is for. Just to get it out. God already knows you did it, but just get it out. Say it. Sometimes just verbalizing the words, sometimes you can feel like your mind's going to explode, and the time it takes for you to pray, you verbalize those words, it makes sense all of a sudden. You're like, what's going on here? By the time you get it said, your mind has organized your thoughts to make a meaningful sentence, and all of a sudden you know what you know. 
you're like, oh wow, that makes sense now. At the time it didn't, but now it does actually make sense what's going on. Through prayer, through community, through all these things, we see that we're given second chances. But I want to twist this. I want to turn this around and spin this. Because while this sermon may seem like it's about you, we know in the Christian walk, it's really not about you. It's all about him. It's all about his glory. What can you do? What can you give? And so I want to go back to Matthew 5. And we're going to look and see what Jesus has to say about the concept of second chances. We already know that in other places where people say, well, what about if somebody does something, my brother does something wrong to me? How many times do I have to forgive him? Seven? And Jesus said 70 times seven. Which he didn't actually mean 490 times. He meant just keep forgiving because it's your brother. And it doesn't necessarily mean you have to leave yourself open to be defrauded. But it's your brother. Just, you can't, oh, you can't keep it. You can't keep holding it in or else it's going to eat at you. So in Matthew 5, verse 38, Matthew 5, verse 38 says, it says, Ye have heard that it hath been said, an eye for an eye, and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you, that ye resist not evil, but whatsoever shall, but whosoever shall smite thee on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So he's saying, you're under obligation to give, the, give people a second chance. Somebody smacks you on the right side, chances are they're going to smack you on the left also. But, he told, he's telling you to do that. He's telling you, hey, you know what? Just, just let them do it. Let them, let them see. Maybe they won't. Maybe your act of allowing them, they'll see a work in you of, of the Spirit, and they won't, won't take that advantage. So then continuing, it says in 40, And if any man will sue thee at the law to take away thy coat, let him have thy cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain, go with him two. Give to him that asks thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Now what he's doing here is he got his, he's actually, Christ's actually going through every single step here. Because the eye for eye, tooth for tooth, that's talking about Pharisees. They took, if you look that up in Leviticus, he's not actually saying that eye for eye. They're saying that the way it's used back there, they're referring to the fact that, you know, if somebody does something against you, the way they handled it back then was either, was usually some sort of retribution in the sense of money or land or work off your debt or something. And the concept of eye for an eye is in there, but it's saying that, but it also basically says in a way that if it's eye for an eye, then everybody walks around blind. So instead of eye for an eye, you know, work to make it right with the person anyways. This is the best you can. But so he, that he's dealing with the Pharisees. When he says, but I say unto you, do not resist evil, but whoever will smack you on one cheek, turn to him the other the also. That's referring to the situation that they're having with the Greeks and the Hebrews, that these people were in a constant war with each other. They'd been in a war for hundreds of years now. That if one, if you feel like they're 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 doing something wrong to you, that's tough. But let it let it go. Let the sin be that God has an occasion to work through it. 
Sometimes you have to let it lie. Then where he says about doing the suing you for your coat. Again, that's referring to the fact that at that time, people were suing each other like crazy. The Romans had brought, for the first time, the idea of civil lawsuits. And they were suing each other like crazy. So he's telling them, the people around you that you're living with, if they're suing you for one thing, they're jealous of you, they want to sue you, you have to be nice to them. Because they were wanting Jesus to be the Messiah that came in and killed the Romans and destroyed it and overturned everything and sent them out on their way. But that's not what they were. But that's not what Jesus was. Jesus is a servant. He didn't come to fight. He came to serve. And then he says that about if you should compel you to go for a mile, you'll go too. That's referring to the Roman army. The Roman army, the Romans had set, made a thing in place that everywhere they were occupied, the Roman soldier was allowed to take anybody they wanted and force them to carry their stuff for up to 2,000 steps, which is about a mile. And and they were they had to if you refused it was a it was a penalty there was a penalty against it refusing. Jesus is saying they hate the Romans. These people are grumbling about the Romans. Jesus is saying if the Romans are going to do something like this, go two miles, show kindness to them. Maybe again through this, through being put out, maybe you will show Christ working through you, and that person will see it, and that that will give an occasion for the Holy Spirit to work in their own heart. And then it says that, you know, if again, if people ask you to borrow something, you're not supposed to even think about whether or not they can repay it. If you have it to give and it's not, then give it. If it's extra, then you're supposed to give it. That's the way, that's what the first fruits was. It says, ye have heard it, 43. Ye have heard that it has been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thy enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despisably use you and persecute you. That ye may be children of your Father which is in heaven. For he makes the sun to rise on the evil and on the good. And sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if ye love them which love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the publicans do the same. If ye, ha- if the- if ye salute your brethren only. What do more than others? Do not even the publicans do so. But ye therefore, but be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. And in the James Bible, the word perfect means complete. It's complete. A perfect circle. Complete. He's saying, be complete in yourself. Be satisfied with your in yourself. Work in yourself. Allow other people second chances. It's the least you can do because God has given you second chances. And and what we do against God is so much greater than what people do against us. So leave occasion for the Holy Spirit to work. God gave us second chances. So we need to give others second chances. Even if it means putting ourselves out. Be willing to be put out so that the Holy Spirit has an occasion to do the Holy Spirit does. And that is work on the hearts of the people that would and do despise you. There's nothing, you gain nothing from being nice to people who are nice to you. But Holy Spirit and the kingdom of God might just gain a soul by you being nice to somebody who would consider themselves an enemy. So that is as we enter a new year, our pledge. Do the right thing for other people. 
give occasion for the Holy Spirit to work and give second chances because God gave every one of us second, third, and fourth chances.